This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 18, The Greatest Band to Never Play. Well, hello again, everyone. Yes, it is that time again for another Incredible Stories podcast. I'm Josh Virella, your obdurate host. And thanks for being here. Let's talk music today, particularly supergroups. In the world of music, is there anything as mouthwatering as teaming up the most prolific members of a band with other prolific members from other bands and seeing what magic they can create? And few groups would be as mouth-watering to fans as that of a team-up between 60s icons Bob Dylan, Mick Jagger, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Paul McCartney. Sorry, Ringo. The supergroup that would be known as the Masked Marauders, instead of being known as the greatest band of all time, would be known as one of the best hoaxes of all time. Here's what I know. In 1969, the relatively new phenomena of the supergroup was both delighting fans and irritating critics. Groups like Blind Faith, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, to Eric Clapton's Cream, and perhaps the first supergroup, The Steam Packet, featuring Rod Stewart, Long John Baldry, and Vic Briggs, to name a few. Yes, the 60s saw a movement in music that was as monumental as the 60s themselves. Rolling Stone magazine had been around for about two years at this point, but in 1969, their clout in the music sphere was strong. And in 1969, readers of the music magazine were treated to some, well, incredible news. Rolling Stone writer T.M. Christian wrote a review of a secret bootleg album by music legends Dylan, Jagger, Lennon, Harrison, and McCartney named The Masked Marauders. It was stated that because of legal issues with each of their respective record labels, the stars' names couldn't actually appear on the album. But the 33-minute long album featured such songs as a Dylan cover of The Duke of Earl, Jagger singing I Can't Get No Nookie, and Season of the Witch. Dylan's new deeper voice and McCartney playing piano and bass guitar were touted as highlights of this band's secretive jam session recording. In fact, in concluding the article, TM Christian said, quote, it can truly be said that this album is more than a way of life, it is life. End quote. Well, you can imagine after reading this article, fans were foaming at the mouth and inquired where they could get their hands on this elusive record. Hey Marcy, did you hear about the new Mask Marauders album? Totally Jimmy, it's the hotness. Wait, you've listened to it? Uh, yeah. How? No one can find it except the Rolling Stone guy because it's a bootleg. Like, dig this. My cousin Samantha's uncle's best friend, Alan, 
has a son and his girlfriend, Jamie, or Jane, something like that. Well, her dad works as a janitor at Rolling Stone, and he totally ganked the bootleg album, so yeah, that's how I heard it. It's amazing. Wow. And it wasn't just music fans clamoring to hear this album. Retailers and possibly even the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan's managers were reaching out to Rolling Stone asking when they could get their hands on their own copy of this album. You'd think if anybody had access to this album, they would've. Now there was only one small little problem. The album didn't exist. Because, well, the band didn't exist. The article was fictitious, written to be a spoof. The writer, T.M. Christian, was actually a pseudonym for Rolling Stone editor Griel Marcus, whose pen name was inspired by the comic novel The Magic Christian. He had hoped people would have gotten the reference and knew it was to be a joke, but they didn't get it. So what did Marcus do next? Well, he decided if people wanted an album, then an album they would get. What's better than a good prank after all? Well, taking that prank up a notch, of course. So Marcus and fellow Rolling Stone editor Langdon Winner recruited a little-known Berkeley, California band called Cleanliness and Godliness Skiffle Band. I've never heard of them. Maybe you have. The band only had one album out with Vanguard Records in 1968, and the band itself was made up of Annie Johnston, Brian Voorhees, Gary Salzman, Hank Bradley, Phil Marsh, and Richard Saunders. Now, I don't think their career was taking off, and in fact, the band was a frequent performer in the San Francisco ballrooms and, uh, you know, dive bars. So, this makes sense to me. If you're going to record a hoax album, get real musicians, and preferably ones that weren't on anyone's radar. And, of course, the Skiffle Band was on very little people's radar. So, Marcus got them to first record the three songs that were referenced in his original Rolling Stone article. And those songs were Cow Pie, Duke of Earl, and I Can't Get No Nookie. Which I will say is actually pretty good and sounds a lot like Jagger. And I'll link this song to the show notes so you can check it out on your own leisure. But, you know, I dug it. Now, after doing this, Marcus took tapes of the songs to local radio stations in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And those stations, of course, eagerly played these gems of music. I mean, these are the rock gods of the time. Yeah, I'll take this bootleg song. It sounds like them. Yeah, why not? Let's spin it and see how people like it. So the popularity of these songs, of course, uh, after they were played on the radio stations, led Marcus to seek major music label to actually produce the album. And there was interest from several. But ultimately, Marcus chose one of the big dogs in the industry, and that being Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers offered $15,000 advance for the production rights. That's about $100,000 in today's money. Aha, uh-huh, not too shabby, especially for a hoax album. 
Now by this point, Warner Brothers were in on the joke and actually created the deity label to match the label mentioned in the original Rolling Stone article. So as to release the self-titled Mask Marauders album under that. So you see Warner Brothers like, you know what, we're gonna play along. Let me create this new little fake label so that this fake album can look like it's coming from a real thing. Now, the album itself went on to sell 100,000 copies. I'm not sure what certification that is in album sales. I know gold is 500,000, so I'll just call that quartz. Well, along with the impressive record sales, the album reached number 114 on the Billboard charts. Incredible for a farce. So, when did people get the joke? Well, Warner Brothers did let people know. Oh, but only after they had purchased the album. You see, the songs are pretty tongue-in-cheek, and the closing track, Saturday Night at the Cow Palace, made it obvious the album was a joke by referencing a buyer being angry at buying the hoax album and getting their hands on the deity record executives. Also, they sound like Richard Nixon. So, you know, if you don't know it's a joke, you're kind of stupid. But in case people still didn't get it, the liner note said, quote, In a world of sham, the masked marauders, bless their hearts, are the genuine article, unquote. And that liner note was penned by none other than T.M. Christian. So why do this? What was Marcus's motivation for pulling the wool over the eyes of the music-loving public? Well, quite simply, he was one of those that were annoyed by the trend of supergroups that was going on at that time. Supergroups were looked at by him as kind of a gimmicky way of once-prime musicians to sell crap to the public. And you know what? That's a trend that you can kind of still see goes on today with, like, best hits, greatest hits, you know, that kind of thing. So, Marcus had come up with this idea late one night after talking with his friend Bruce Miroff. He was going on about how stupid the Super Session albums were. Today, we would call this, like, so-and-so featuring so-and-so. But back in the 60s, performers would just slap some famous names together and pass it off as music. So, Marcus put out a hypothetical question of, if there were a real supersession with Lennon, Dylan, Jagger, and whoever else, what would they actually record? Surely some oldies, some deemed instant classics, and some originals. Initially, this joke was only meant to be in article form, but when people didn't get it, he just kept it running. And the fallout from all this? Well, there wasn't really any. It seems the joke was kind of harmless enough, and I'm sure those duped by the whole thing after an initial outburst of disappointment only had to laugh at their own gullibility. The clues were all there after all. The album had no pictures of the Mass Marauders and had no identifying credentials. And honestly, it's hard to believe that anyone actually believed it. But there were some who held on until Rolling Stone eventually had to out themselves in future context. You see, you know, fans being fans, still wanted to believe that this supergroup was a thing. So they kept on believing it, even after all their friends said it was a joke, and even after they read the liner notes in the album itself. 
So Rolling Stone eventually had to say, okay guys, we wrote this joke article. It was a big joke. Ha 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 ha. Now in 2003, Rhino Records remastered the Masked Marauder album and released 2,000 copies of it billed as The Masked Marauders, The Complete Deity Recordings. Which in itself was a joke as it was a nod to the Warner Brother Deity label which was created just for the Masked Marauders original release. The new re-release came complete with two additional bonus tracks. Score for the fans. And that's the story of the greatest band that never played. And now you know what I know. Okay, so I love a good hoax. And there are plenty out there to be sure. And I'm most positive I'm going to be covering more hoaxes for future editions. But this has to be one of the most in-depth music hoaxes ever released onto the public. I mean, it's a fun joke, and no one got hurt, except for a few people who are out some money on what they thought was a real album. But the album itself is entertaining, even if it is just a fake group. In my book, No Blood, No Foul. Now, an interesting side note with the um, Mass Marauders album, though. The album cover features a woman kind of looking back with a man's arm in front of her. This was a promotional photo from a movie called The Fearless Vampire Killers. Never saw it, but it sounds fantastic. This picture was originally taken by Roman Polanski for the March 1967 edition of Playboy of actress and eventual wife Sharon Tate. And now, you may know Sharon Tate as one of the four that were murdered by the Manson family in August of 1969. The Masked Marauders album came out in November of 1969. You can tell the photo has been manipulated a bit, and it's not certain as to why or how Sharon Tate's photo was used for this cover art. And I'll link a picture of this in the show notes, of course, so you can check it out. It's just kind of a weird little coincidence that is uh, surrounding this album, and, and I find it interesting that it was used as the murders were just a few months before that, and it did create quite the media buzz, you know, the murders themselves. But now for something that is definitely not a hoax, and that is haikus. <laughs> Some men like music. Some men like making hoaxes. They meet at Rolling Stone. And that's all the time we have this week, guys. Thanks for listening. Check out our main site for other stories on IncrediblestoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or a haiku or show suggestion. Just go to the website and fill out the form and send it that way. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes, five stars, please. And peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. 